So take a look around. What do you have that God hasn't given you? Every heartbeat, every breath, every good and perfect gift comes from Him. He is the ultimate giver. He literally gives us gifts that we can't comprehend. Think about this. There are more electrical impulses generated in one day by a single human brain cell than by all the telephones in the world. Or how about the fact that food tastes delicious? It didn't have to taste delicious. It could have all tasted like kale. But no, it's fantastic. We plan our day around good tasting food. God gave us this. And then there's our health. We're not healthy because we deserve it. We didn't jump in a 55 gallon drum of yogurt and spinach. Our health is a gift, a gift that is too often taken for granted. God has always given to me knowing that he would get little in return. He is a father that enjoys giving good gifts to his children. I've heard it said that it's possible to give without loving, but you can never love without giving. And that is his example. For God so loved the world that he gave. Like most people, I'm often driven by what I don't have when I should be driven to seek the heart of God. Because God's heart is revealed in his generosity. Maybe my heart is too. Beautiful. Well, if you brought your Bible with you this morning, I want to invite you to open up to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. The words I'm about to read will also be on the screen. Um, and you can also pull out from your program the notes that will help you follow along in today's message. Let me tell you where we're going this morning, and then I'm going to read the passage from the Apostle Paul. And it's really just a little bit of an extension of what I said earlier during our confession of sins. And that is, God, first and foremost, wants to see inside-out change. He wants to see hearts change, minds change, because he knows that when hearts and minds change, everything changes, including our ability to be generous. Because God's not looking for generosity, he doesn't even count it as generosity when it comes from a grudging heart. So we're going to be uh, reading uh, this from 2 Corinthians chapter 9, and it's really, it's important to understand, this is addressed to a group of people that are outstandingly generous from the inside out. They truly are. Um, I don't know if you are familiar with the story in Jesus' life of him watching people drop money into the offering plate at the temple, and there was this one widow, and she she had practically nothing left at all in her checkbook, I guess we'd call it, except for two cents. So she reaches into her pocket, he pulls, she pulls out the two cents, and she gives the entire thing into the offering plate for God. And he, he, uh, Jesus talks about how amazing that is for him to see that. Well, this group of people that Paul is going to be writing about, the Macedonians, uh, they're struck with poverty, but they are so willing to give generously. And he's going to use them, the Macedonians, as an example for the Corinthians and for us. And so he says, based on the example of the Macedonians, he says to the Corinthians this, 2 Corinthians 9 verse 6, remember this, Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, 
And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and enlarge your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion and through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. So, you know, I believe what it says in the Bible when the Bible tells us that God has set eternity in the hearts of men. Meaning, despite the fact that as we look around today and we see a lot of people who don't want to believe in God, maybe are afraid to believe in God, or outright reject belief in God, despite all what's going on on the outside, on the inside, there's this truth that God has set eternity in every person's heart and mind. And every now and then, you'll hear a person who's not a Christian, not a believer, sort of reflect that there is that little spark, that little glimmer of eternity in the hearts of men, and often it will come around this idea of generosity. So as I was researching for, for today's message, I actually came across a quote from the novelist Stephen King. How many here know Stephen King? Have you ever read a Stephen King novel? They're scary. They're scary. Horror novels, many of them. All right? Well, Stephen King was involved in an automobile accident a few years back, and he related that story as he was doing a commencement address at Vassar College. And he said, you know, I, I found myself after this accident lying in a ditch with the car glass in my hair, um, blood all over me, my tibia shattered, and the thought came to me, you know what? I still have my MasterCard in my wallet, but it's not much good to me here in this ditch with glass in my hair and a broken bone. I need some other kind of help. And then this is the realization that he came to. We all know that life is ephemeral, meaning very, very, very temporary. It goes by in a blink of an eye. But on that particular day in the ditch and in the months that followed, I got a painful but extremely valuable look at life's backstage truths. And one that he specifically mentions is, I learned what it means that you can't take it with you. We come in naked and broke. We may be dressed when we go out, but we're just as broke. Warren Buffett, going to go out broke. Bill Gates, going out broke. Tom Hanks, going out broke. Steve King, broke. Not a crying dime. All the money you earn, all the stocks you buy, 
all the mutual funds you trade, all of that is mostly smoke and mirrors. No matter how large your bank account, no matter how many credit cards you have, sooner or later things will begin to go wrong with the only things you have that can really be called your own, your body, your spirit, and your mind. Do you, do you hear a little reflection of eternity in those words? So I want you to consider making your life one long gift to others. And why not? All you have is on loan anyway. All that lasts is what you pass on. So I ask you to begin giving and to continue as you began. I think you'll find in the end that you got far more than you ever had and did more good than you ever dreamed. You know, generosity in many ways lines up with the world that we live in, whether you're a believer or not. You may even be an atheist and strongly believe that it's good to be generous. And yet, how much more for us who know that our blessings all come from God, that the house that I live in, not mine, God's, the truck that I drive, not mine, God's. The, the bank account money that I've got saved aside, not mine, God's. And that is our Christian belief. That is what we know to be true. And, and we know it to be true because, as we've sung several times already this morning, when, when God came into our lives, he made this point very clear that he is the owner and the winner of all that we are, dearly loved children of God, bought with the blood of Jesus Christ, but also all that we have. So I want to dive into the notes, because this inside-out change begins with three things, and we're going to walk our way through those three things. We're going to talk about how God changes our hearts when he changes our beliefs, our internal beliefs. He changes our hearts, secondly, when he takes our hearts from being unwilling, grudging hearts to willing and free hearts. In other words, instead of being hearts that are sort of, if hearts had hands, they would be closed-fisted hands, hold tight hands, to being an open-handed heart and an open-handed person. That's the second change. And then God gives us purpose in life, which means he gives us goals in life that can serve and honor him. So let's talk first about that promise that inspires our generosity, that changes our beliefs. So in the Bible, God makes many beautiful promises to us. Just think through some of the ones that you know, things that you know God has promised you as someone who loves you, and as we sang earlier, who does not change and is faithful to you. What do you know about that, God? What do you know about the promises he's made to you? You know, for example, that he promises you to forgive all your sins. You know, for example, that he has gone to prepare a place for you in heaven one day so that after you die, he will come to collect you and take you to be with him where he is. You know that he has shared his perfection, his holiness, his righteousness 
with you. You know, and he says this many times in the Bible, that he promises to be with you every day through life. And I could go on and on. But I want to talk about one of the biggest promises that God makes to all of us in the Bible. And it's the promise that I'm going to put up on a picture on the slide. God will provide. You know how many times God says that to his people in the Bible? I will provide. I will take care of you. I've got you. I've got your back. Don't worry. Things may look bleak here. Things may look tough ahead. But do not fear. I will provide. I will give you what you need. I will take care of you. And how does that represent a change of heart? Because one of the results of sin is to always come back to this thought that, boy, I better get going because I got to be the provider. We men are fond of saying that. I'm the provider in the family. No, we're not. Not in the least. Yeah, we might go out get a paycheck. Of course, many of the ladies in our midst are also going out and getting a paycheck these days too. They're not the providers either. Sorry, ladies. Because the provider, capital P, provider, is not a human being. The capital P, provider, is God himself. And that is something, that's a promise that changes our hearts from the inside out. If you believe that it's all up to you, God is here to say it's not all up to you. Because the problem with it's all up to me is that there are going to be times in life where you're going to look at your life and the problems that you face and go, well, if it's all up to me, I may as well give up because there is no solution to this problem that I can see. And that's not going to just happen once. You're going you're to drive into many cul-de-sacs in life. And you're going to wander around the circle going, what do I do next? What do I do now? And you're going to lose sight of even how to get out of that cul-de-sac because you're so worried and afraid. And you'll just keep spinning until the gas runs out. Which is why, I'm so glad you guys left that up. I want that to be imprinted on our minds today. And if you get nothing out of this message today except three words, three words, God will provide, this sermon has been successful today. Now I hope to give you a few more things. Don't get up and leave yet. But there you are. God will provide. Listen to what Paul says. This guy who wandered around all over the place sharing the gospel with people, right? Often with hardly a shirt on his back. But, but listen to what he says to the Corinthians. Remember this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. And how can we do that? Because we've had an inside-out change in our hearts that says, 
I know that God is able to bless me abundantly so that in all things at all times, having all that I need, I'm able to abound in every good work. Do you believe that? That's what Paul is asking you to ask yourself. Do I believe that? Do I believe God will provide? Do I believe not only that he will provide, but as Paul adds to that, God will provide abundantly. Why? Because you're not meant to be just a reservoir to collect. God wants you to bless others. God wants you to be given things into a reservoir, but then open the floodgates so that it can all flow out from you onto other people downstream from you. 1 Timothy 6.17. Look at how many times this promise is repeated. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God who richly provides us, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Stunning what God provides for us. And when we believe that God will provide all our needs, present and future, it changes everything. And we start to look at what flows from us as a privilege, as an honor, as, as, a, as a willingness on our part to test what God promises us so that we can see that his promises to provide are really true. We're going to come back to that at the very end of the message when we talk about how do we game plan our fears, Right, Because I can believe that God will provide, but I still have to struggle with my sinful nature and all the fears and worries it brings up. And how do you game plan getting past all those fears and worries? Hang on, don't leave yet, because I'm going to tell you that in just a second. But it starts by having that internal heart change. Let me give you at least one man's experience. Anybody here heard of Billy Graham? Right? Christian his whole life long, major share of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We have found in our own home that God's blessing upon the nine-tenths, because he's giving away the one-tenth, when we tithe, helps it to go farther than ten-tenths without his blessing. What a beautiful way to pose the problem, right? Would I rather have nine-tenths with God's blessing or ten-tenths without God's blessing? Which one would I choose if the question were posed that way about tithing and giving offerings? I know which way I would answer. And I pray it's the same way that you would answer. How much better? To keep nine-tenths with the blessing of God, which is what he's promised us when we tithe and when we give our offerings, whether it's a tithe, tithe or not. get so excited about this topic, I run out of breath. Do you know that Jesus talks more about this topic than almost anything else in the Bible? 
the one topic I think Jesus might talk more about than money is God's kingdom. But, but even he talks more about money than Jesus talks about heaven. How strange is that and why? Why? Because Jesus one day was speaking and, and he said this. Where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. And so if we think about the movie Lord of the Rings, think about Gollum, and he has got that ring tight in his grasp and can't let it go. Why not? Because that's his treasure. And we don't ever want to do that with our financial treasures. Write this in. God promises to be our provision because his desire for us is to live in faith, not fear, and be rivers, not reservoirs. Which means, if we're going to live in faith, not fear, if we're going to be rivers, not reservoirs, we have to live our lives in light of that eternity that God has placed in our hearts and has reminded us of through his promises in the Bible that our names are recorded in the book of life. I want you to look at this next slide in view of eternity. The Bible goes over this again and again. Here's Paul writing again. Therefore, we're always confident and know that as long as we're at home in the body... We're away from the Lord, for we live by faith, not by sight. We are confident, I say, and would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. He's, he's living this life in light of eternity. So we make it our goal to please him whether we're at home in the body or away from it, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each of us may receive what is due for us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. What's the second heart change? Heart change number one, God will provide. What's heart change number two? Heart change number two is stop panicking about today. Stop worrying and fussing and like, what am I going to do? And catastrophizing about the things that we're facing right now. Why stop it? Because in eternity, it won't matter. It'll all be gone. You know what? You can stop a lot of worry merely by asking yourself the question, what is this going to look like a year from now? What is this going to look like five years from now? Often I've asked that simple question. And you know what happens? I have to answer honestly and say, I won't even remember this, this thing that's keeping me awake at night five years from now. Well, if that's true, after only a year or five years, what do all our worries and concerns and problems and troubles look like 10,000 years from now? Or 100,000 years from now, when we're living in eternity? How many of you are familiar with the name Rick Warren? Purpose Driven Life. Maybe you've read that book. Was pastor of a church in Southern California. Many people are familiar with this pastor, Rick Warren. 
Hardly anyone is familiar with Rick Warren's dad. Let's put a picture of Rick Warren's dad up. That's Rick Warren's dad. Now, Rick Warren just retired as a pastor from his church. Rick, Rick Warren's dad was also a pastor. And, and he mostly pastored not in megachurches like his son, but in little country churches all over the place, and often moved from church to church. And one of the things Rick Warren's dad loved to do, he was handy, he loved to build churches, like literally build churches with hammer and nails and wood. And so he would build these churches, not just the ones that he was pastor over, but he would travel all over the world to build churches. One day, he was getting older, and Rick's dad learned from the doctor that he had terminal cancer. And, and do you know what he decided shortly after that? Piece of good news? I wonder if even I would decide to do something like this as long as I've been a pastor. But do you know what he decided to do? He said, Rick, I think I have one more church in me, and I'm going to try to build it before I die. Rick says, really, Dad? Where? Well, there's this congregation in Siberia that needs a church built for it. I'm going to go to Siberia. And I'm going to build a church before I die. And he did, and he got that church done. When he was dying, literally on his deathbed, he got kind of delirious, and he was dreaming, and Rick and his wife Kay were there, and they were listening to this. And then shortly, like the day before he died, maybe even the day of his death, he rose up in bed and started trying to peel all the attachments off himself, and, and Rick and Kay said, where are you going? Dad, you're dying. It's time for you to go to heaven, lay down in bed, and be still. And he said, his answer was, I got to win one more for Jesus. I got to win one more for Jesus. I, I guess we can see why Rick Warren became a pastor after hearing that from his dad, right? But here was a man literally on a mission. And do you know what a missional heart is? A heart on a mission? A mission heart is a cheerful heart. A heart on a mission is going to be a happy heart. Because even though he had just gotten that news about cancer, he was like, I'm still a man on a mission. I'm still happy. I can still wear a smile no matter what problems I'm facing. He had been changed from the inside out by the fact that he had a mission to complete. So write this down, if you will. The willing, cheerful heart will lead to generosity. When we are on a mission, it tends to open our hands. And one of the privileges I have here is I've gotten to experience this church family for over a year now, and I've gotten to experience your open-handedness. There's a ton of generosity generated by Jesus Christ 
in your hearts. I've experienced it. And as Paul says sometimes to his congregations, take what God has given you and do it more and more. And that's my encouragement today. You've opened your hands by the power of the Holy Spirit. We'll give him the credit. He deserves all the credit. You're convinced, I'm convinced, that God will provide for you. Yes, you have your fears, your old Adam struggles, but I see a lot of wonderful things happening because the Holy Spirit is inspiring your new man to open your hands in a cheerful and willing way and give. Now do so, as Paul says over and over again, more and more. Let's, let's do the last and that is, when a person is on a mission, that person has goals. So let's talk about the goal that stokes our generosity. Can you imagine football without goalposts, without an end zone? Like, I don't know that we would enjoy watching football if there was no end zone and no goalposts. And to be honest with you, you're not going to find much joy in life if you're not people together on a mission seeking out God's goals for your life. Look at what Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 9, 11. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion and through us your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. Do you hear the goal in there? You can be generous on every occasion. Goal number one. Be generous on every occasion. There's the first goalpost. But behind that goalpost is the second goalpost. Do you see that? Your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. Ultimately, the true goal is that people recognize God's place, God's hand, God's provision. We don't want just us saying God will provide. We want a whole world of people, many of whom don't even know God, certainly don't trust God to one day also be able to say and sing with us. Imagine even more people. Imagine every seat in two services, three services, four services. Imagine forcing the leadership team and the congregation to figure out how we're going to create a larger worship space. Why? Because so many people want to profess and confess God will provide. And God has provided. Provided me a savior. Provided me an eternal life. Provided me what I needed to make life happen. Provided me his presence so that I can move forward and deal with the problems and issues I have in life. God has provided, and God will provide. Imagine this church so full of people that want to profess that, that we have to turn this into a youth ministry space and build a whole other worship center. Why? Because we need space for all those people to worship God, to thank God. And that's what this is about. The true goal is more people hugging you one day in heaven because you were generous. 
One day, more people hugging you in heaven because you gave with a free and willing heart. You gave your money, yes. You gave your time. You gave your energy so that they could know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. They could know forgiveness, the forgiveness of sins and eternal life. You will be enriched in every way, Paul says, so that you can be generous on every occasion, and through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. Write this down. Our goal is not to keep the lights on, but to keep the light, meaning the light of Jesus Christ, shining out into this community so that more people can profess with us, God is generous, God is gracious, God will be with us. Remember last week, Pastor Dustin told us the generosity level measured across the United States of people in their offerings, and it wasn't a tithe, it wasn't 10%. Anybody remember what the percentage was? That got me thinking curiously, like in the Old Testament, where they were called a light to the peoples. The Old Testament believers were called a light to the peoples. They knew they were supposed to keep the light on, the light of Jesus Christ pointing forward to the Savior. Do you know what their offerings were? Many of you think, well, they, they just tithed, right? No. Actually, Old Testament Jews had three common offerings, and tithe was just one of them. Another was a, a sort of tithe or offering to help celebrate the big holidays and the travel to Jerusalem. And still a third was to help support the poor. Randy Alcorn wrote a book. No, go back to the Randy Alcorn quote, if you would, please. And in that book called Money, Possessions, and Eternity, this is what he says. The Israelites' tithes often amounted to 20 3% of their income, almost 10, per, uh, 10 times what Christians tend to give today in contrast to the average, here it is, 2.5% giving of American Christians. Is there room for us to grow? Is there room for me to grow? Is there space somewhere in my life to step back and ask, do I even know what percentage I'm giving right now? And, and let me just ask you that. Do you know what proportion of your income you're giving back to the Lord right now? I, I think a great first step might be to just sit down and see if you could come up with a percentage number of your giving. Because, and here's the practical part, here's the game plan. If your heart has changed, you want a game plan. Now put up that picture you had a moment ago. What I'm asking you to consider today is to step on to the generosity ladder. I promised you a game plan to get past your fears, to get past your worries about money in your offering. Here's the game plan. This is it right here. You ready? You can take baby steps. It's okay. If you're not giving 10%, if you're not giving 23% of your income, you could just figure out where you are today. Just figure it out. 
Start there. Know the number. 1%, 2%, 4%. Not an amount of money, but what percent? And then ask yourself, would a baby step for me be to simply raise it by half a percent? Or 1%? Or if I trust God will provide 3%? Or maybe some of you are really, really bold and say, you know what, today I repent I'm getting up to the full 10% right now. Whatever has to be done to make that happen, I believe God will provide. So I'm going all the way to 10. If you're already at 10, take a baby step. Maybe you could go to 11 or 12 or 13. Maybe one day you'll be like an Old Testament believer and you'll be at 23. Who knows what God might do through you to keep the light on in this church and in this community. Here's the ladder. Have you never made a gift? Make one. See what God does with that. After that, become a first fruits giver, meaning... When I get income, I'm going to take the first portion of it and give back to God. So you go from first-time giver to first-fruits giver. That's step one, baby step one. Baby step two is I'm going to make this a regular thing. I'm going to give an offering every week at church in the offering, in that little basket out there. Or I'm going to get on and automate my giving. Number three, you could really decide I'm going to up my percentage. And number four... One day, God might say, I've given you the gift of giving like he gave the Macedonians. And you can become, which is blessing of blessings, an extravagant giver. All right, I've gone on and on about this. You ready to go home? Ready to go home and figure out what your percentage is? All right, let's pray. Dear Father in heaven, Thank you so much for your generosity, for your promises to provide. And Lord God, Heavenly Father, I trust that you will provide. We trust that you will provide for us personally, for this ministry, because we know who you are. You are a faithful God who does not change. Lord, convince us from the inside out that we too can be generous Rivers, not reservoirs, extravagant givers, because you have us in your heart, and you will always provide for us. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. I want to invite you to join with me now in the words of the Lord's Prayer. Oh, sorry, first the Apostles' Creed. We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is seen and unseen. Let's get the words. There we go. We believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of one being with the Father. Through him all things were made. For us and for our salvation he came down from heaven was incarnate of the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary, and became fully human. For our sake, he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried. 
On the third day, he rose again in accordance with the scriptures. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. All right. We believe in the whole... No, let's finish it. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son who in unity with the Father and the Son is worshipped and glorified, who has spoken through the prophets. We believe in one holy Christian and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen.